Father, we're all too well, we're all too aware of how easy it is, in fact, for us to be shaken by any number of things in this world that we come in here with tonight. And so we need you, we need you to answer the prayer that is that song. To, to help us indeed build our lives upon what you have said and who you are, your word. May you do that tonight by your spirit's power with the people you've gathered here. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. Thanks for uh, coming out to Epiphany tonight, friends. It's good to be with you. We're going to take a little break from um, Revelation tonight. You know, a couple times a year, I try to uh, talk about uh, something that, that I think oftentimes is, well, I mean, it gets neglected for various reasons, and that is generosity and in, in giving in the, in the Christian's life. And, uh, of course, that means to some extent we're going to be talking about money. And when it comes to that issue, um, the church tends to err in one of two ways. Uh, on the one hand, of course, we know the famous cases of the guys who are seemingly always raising money for their private jets so that they don't have to fly with the, uh, with the common people in the air. Uh, and it's clearly an abuse of the system. I mean, it just seems like they're using every sermon they can to just exhort people to give more and more and more and more. And, and it turns out in most of those situations that the, the people that are giving in those uh, churches tend to be the poorest of the poor, giving as much as they possibly can for this lavish lifestyle of the preacher. And so in response to that abuse that we've seen on TV and various other places, this then leads to the opposite error in which preachers not wanting to be seen as being all about the Benjamins, you know, not, not wanting to be seen or mistaken for that at all, just kind of never talk about it and never talk about money or giving or anything. And, and that's not right either. The Bible does have a lot to say about money and about uh, giving and about generosity it's, it's part of what uh, the Christian ethic is, is all about. And so, so we're going to do that tonight by looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 1 through 15. The words will be on the screen for you to follow along to. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in, a wealth, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others uh, should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right, that's the reading. Let's give a little historical background to what I just read here so we can get a fuller understanding. What's going on is Paul is taking an offering, a collection for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem from multiple churches all around the, the Roman Empire at the time. He has just picked up a collection or an offering from the church in Macedonia. And Macedonia, like the church in Jerusalem, was also poor. Yet to Paul's surprise and sort of great shock, they gave just this tremendous love offering for the church in Jerusalem. Now, Paul is writing to the rather wealthy church in Corinth. About a year previous to this letter, the Corinthian church had told Paul they intended on taking a large offering from their people for the sake of the Jerusalem church. Now, Paul's about to come to them, and it appears there are rumors that they're not ready, that they maybe had, had over-promised what they could give. So, in order to address this, Paul uses the Macedonian church really as an example to show what generous churches look like. And that's going to be our topic for today. What does it look like to be a, a generous church? And the first characteristic we see in the text is a generous church sees giving as an act of worship. If you look at it again at verse 1, it refers to uh, in, in a, as an act of worship. Verse 4, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 5, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you hear what he's saying here. Uh, he is saying that by their giving to help these poorer Christians, they were indeed giving back to the Lord. Christian generosity flows out of is part of worship to God for his abundant, amazing grace to us. Now, oftentimes in Christian circles, and, and I do it too, when we think of worship, we tend to think of the, you know, the music part of the service. Or maybe we think of a, a time during the service where we really, you know, kind of get the feels because of what is going on. But, but worship encompasses much more than that. The fact is, every part of this service, every part of what we're doing here, is really meant to be a long conversation between us, God's people, and God himself. His word is proclaimed, we respond by singing. So that's why when you come in, you hear his word. First thing we do, you hear the psalm, that's his word, what do we do? We praise in response. His body and blood are given. What do we do? We wish each other God's peace. His word is preached. We respond with prayer and 
with our financial offerings. Every worship service is a, it's a holy conversation between us and the Lord. So, so remember that as you think about giving, whether here or somewhere else, that what you're doing is as much an act of worship as if you were raising your hands and saying hallelujah. It's all worship. Therefore, like the Macedonians, a generous church sees giving as, a, as an opportunity to worship. Secondly, the generous church sees giving not being based on circumstances, but according to a person's means. Look again at verses 2, 3, and 4. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And this is, I've never had this happen to me. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were literally begging to give. Yet notice, it is in their affliction, it is in their poverty that this wealth of generosity overflows. It's not after God has given them the big bucks, but in the midst of the struggle that they still give. I've had my fair share of people tell me over the years in the churches I've served at some point or another, you know, uh, Pastor, if I, ever, if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to give a huge chunk of it to the church. Now, I understand the sentiment. I really do, and I, th and I appreciate it. Like, I know they're, they're, yeah, they mean it, and I, I take them at their word. But too often, we're prone to thinking like that. Like, once I, man, if I just got rich, when I have money, then I'll give. You know, when I have more. But that's not the point of it. Part, giving, part of it, is a testing of our faith that God is our ultimate provider. So whether, whether poor or rich, that's not the standard. Jesus gives a little illustration of this in Mark's gospel. He's sitting in the synagogue and he sees the treasury and he sees many rich people walking up and giving lots of money and stuff. But what catches his eye is a poor widow that comes and puts basically two copper coins, uh, coins that basically added up to a penny in the treasury. And he uses this to teach his disciples something. He calls his disciples to him and he says, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering was. Not numbers-wise, clearly. I mean, she's given a penny. But why? For they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The pastor, Charles Stanley, once told the story about a time in his church they were preparing to uh, purchase some pretty costly property, and their desire was to accomplish the transaction without going into debt. And so one week away from the deadline, they had accumulated less than half the money. Raising the rest seemed fairly impossible. And he mentioned the need to the congregation, and after the first service, a young couple came up and gave him the husband's wedding ring to use toward the payment. They insisted that he take the band over his objections, in spite of the fact that they were barely getting by themselves and had a baby on the way. 
So during the second service, Stanley held up the ring and mentioned what they had done. And at the end of the service, person after person after person, inspired by the generosity of this couple, with much more to give, started coming forward. And by the end of the service, they had reached their goal. But it, it all started with the sacrificial offering of a, of a poor couple, just willing to give what they could. So I, I'm, I've said here before, I don't tell you how much you are to give. I don't believe the New Testament says, if you don't give this, then you know, you're in trouble with God or anything like that. I just, I believe you're free. I really, I mean, I mean it, I believe that. I'm not gonna tell you how much you should give. I'm not gonna tell you what you should give to them. I'm just gonna tell you that part of what it, what it's like to live as Christians is to give. That's the point, whether rich or poor. Paul has commands for both, by the way. First Timothy 6, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. So, rich or poor, Everyone is called to give. Thirdly, <clears throat> the generous church gives according to a plan. Generosity most of the time is planned and thought through. And the Corinthians, the Corinthians had good intentions. Just a year prior, they were promising to give a large gift to help out the saints in Jerusalem. But now it appears, as Paul draws near, that they might not quite be ready. Listen to what he says in, in verse 10. <clears throat> in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this, but, but this, not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. You see, he, he says, he, the, you plan on doing it, make it to the finish line. Plan out the gift, actually follow through with it. Now, why, why do we say both? And why does Paul allude to both here? Because we are so prone to being drawn into the moment that if we don't plan it, then it probably won't get done. Or we'll find ourselves spending it on something else. I speak about this from oh so much personal experience in my own life. How often I have determined, set aside even giving to the church, I have determined that I want to save a certain amount of money. I said, man, I should really save this money. I should really save this money. And then what do you know? Goodbye money. I've spent it on Amazon books. I've spent it on who knows what. The money's burnt a hole in my pocket all too easily because I didn't plan and set it aside. I saw a, an amazing illustration of this all the time back in the church I served in California. At the church there, there was a, there was a man named James, and James was, um, he was mentally challenged, but he was highly functioning enough that he lived on his own and held down a job uh, as a pizza delivery driver. Obviously didn't, didn't make a ton of money. I remember being at the church in the evening multiple times when he would stop by after his shift. And the reason he'd stop by is he'd pull out all the tips that he got for the night, and he'd count out 
10% of whatever it was, put it in an envelope, and give it as an offering to the church. We have a little offering box up against the wall that you can drop your envelope in. He'd do it multiple times during the week. And, you know, of course, one time I asked him, James, why, you know, why don't you just wait till Sunday? You know, just bring it with you Sunday. And he said, I don't want to be tempted to spend it, Pastor. It needs to go to help others. Fourthly, the generous church recognizes generosity as an evidence of growth. Paul says in verse 7 and 8, as you excel in everything, and he mentions a bunch of things that they can excel in, he says, excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about their act of giving. He makes sure to point out, he says, I see this not as a command. I'm, I'm not saying this again, but it's to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now, the word for excel there in Greek could be translated to keep abounding or continue till overflowing. Keep going. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And finally, the generous church ultimately, ultimately looks to Christ's generosity to them. I love this verse in verse 9. Paul's sort of, it's right at the center of things. Paul is wanting to, he wants to get their face set on what what is going to, if anything, cause them out of gratitude? Because giving is always meant to be something done out of gratitude. Again, it's connected to worship. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. That is a summation of the gospel. Here's the situation. We were poor, destitute, lost, blind, dead, in trespasses and sins. Nothing to offer God at all, spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, having lived in perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit, took upon himself flesh, healing us, teaching us, living perfectly for us, dying for us, forsaken for us on the cross, becoming Poor. Why did he do it? To give us freely what he's always had. Perfect relationship restored with the Father. Eternity in heaven. Infinite joy and glory forever. So Christ rises from the dead, as the scripture says, carrying captives in his train. Captives like you and I. By his poverty, we become rich. Or to put it another way, as he says earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I would dare say the more we marinate on that and the generosity of our God to us, 
the more we will be prone to become generous people ourselves. It is to the extent that we see how much we have received from God gratis, free, even though we recognize we don't deserve it, that we then look at the world as a place that we can give back to as well, that we can serve as well. Whether it's a dollar here or a dollar there, all of it counts. None of it's too small. Because all of it is done and meant to be done out of worship for God and for the good of our neighbor. That's what generosity looks and sounds like. So with that, why don't we pray and we'll get ready to go to the Lord's table together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give back. It is, it is actually a gift for us that we can do that. I think of the words recorded of Jesus in the book of Acts where it says it is better to give than to receive. Give us that mindset, we pray, Father. We ask that you would make us people that find joy in giving to others and in being generous with all that you've given us. Whether it be our time, our talent, our money. And now, Father, we pray the prayer our Savior gave us with one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.